Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning, the final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. Doesn't matter, we got no hit again. The Indians got no hit again. Their second time they've been no hit this season. The final was 3-0. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played, and... Boy, of all the games, of all the games to sit down and watch yesterday. So I <laughs> I finally got an evening to myself. My wife was busy for the evening, so I had a chance to sit down and watch the game in uninterrupted. I got to I got to watch the game through dinner. I usually turn the game off, eat dinner, turn the game back on, hope nothing happened. Of all the games I got to sit down and really pay attention to, it had to be that one. It had to be Another freaking no-hitter. I I mean, do I really want to even talk about it? I'm going to, but I'm not sure I really want to. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to listen because the last time the Indians got no-hit was one of our lowest-rated shows of the entire season. So I imagine there's plenty of uh, Cleveland Baseball Morning fans out there this morning that are just like, no. No, I don't want to relive it. I, I don't want to hear Davey talk about pitch mixes and things like that. But if you're stuck in here and you're hanging in here and you want to talk a little Cleveland Indians baseball, we got the storylines from the game. We've got uh, Chernoff, who went on 92.3 The Fan and uh, spoke to Bowen Fox and said some things. I'm not going to say they were all interesting things. I'm not going to say they were all informative things, but he said things. And, uh, of course, the news that Roberto Perez is going to be out months, not weeks. Now, that can mean, I mean, two months is, you know, eight weeks for a finger surgery. All right, that might be reasonable. I mean, he could be back, I don't know, late late July maybe. Who knows? Who knows what the timetable is? And I don't think anyone's really sure what the timetable is. Uh, and until then, get ready for a lot of Austin Hedges. Chernoff said it in the interview. Uh, you know, that's the reason we kept Hedges around and we were okay paying that much money for two catchers that can't really hit is because we don't have a lot of catching in the upper levels of our farm system. So they went out and got Rene Rivera, the journeyman, and I'm, I'm shocked he didn't get the start last night. I'm shocked. I mean, the guy goes three for four in his debut. You got to let him roll the dice again, right? No, it goes back to Austin Hedges. We see how well that worked out. Uh, Rene Rivera did pinch hit. He actually, Francona was so desperate for a hit last night. He's like, okay, go ahead. Take your shot at it. He was the only pinch hitter of the night. All right, so let's get into the storylines. The Indians were no hit again. And you just open up Twitter, open up Cleveland.com, and you will see all the facts on this of teams that have gotten no hit. Only three teams have gotten no hit twice this early in the season including the White Sox from 1917, I want to say, and the uh, yeah, and the Pittsburgh Alleghenies from 1884 are the only teams to get no-hit this early in the season. All the jokes about, well, they've done their April no-hitter, now their May no-hitter, now they've got plenty of time until their June no-hitter. I've heard all those jokes. Um, it's not exactly a, uh, a terrible omen, to get no hit twice in a season. Now, nobody's done it three times. So we would be setting a precedent if we could somehow pull this off uh, a third time this season. But 
The last team to do it was in 2019, the Mariners, and they were awful. They finished in fifth place in the West. The New York Mets, it happened to them in 2015, and they were in first place in the NL East. They won first place in the NL East, and they lost in that World Series, in that 2015 World Series. So not a terrible omen. Uh, The Dodgers, it happened to them also in 2015, and they won the NL West. It happened to the Tampa Bay Rays in 2010. That was a 96-win team that would win the AL East and lose in the ALDS. It's never happened before in Indians history, and then Zoom, no other team really had success uh, except zooming back all the way to the 1917 White Sox, who were a 100-win team and finished first in the AL and won the World Series, even though they were no-hit twice in one season. So, yeah, there's some precedent here, but it's not exactly um, you know, the worst omen in the world that it happened, right? It, it, it is two games out of 162, and what you do with the other 160 games is way more important than what happened in these two games. So remember that. We will come out. We will play today. We will probably get a hit today, and it'll be a different story. Now, how did Wade Miley do it? What was he doing against us? I mean, his his box score, and when we get into Wade Miley here, we're going to get into Police Act 2, which is our second storyline that Police Act pitched fantastic as well. Uh, Miley goes nine innings, obviously no hits, no runs, a walk. A, someone did reach on an error and eight strikeouts on 114 pitches. I mean, it's one of those things where you can't take him out. You just can't. He's never gone that deep in a game this entire season. There was no way they were taking him out. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they give him a few extra days rest. Maybe there's an off day or two in there for them. Maybe they skip his start in the rotation just to let his arm bounce back a little bit. Uh, he went really deep into this game, although he doesn't throw that hard, so maybe his arm's all right. And then Plesak goes eight innings on the other side, spreads out three hits, no runs, no walks, seven strikeouts on 112 pitches from Plesak. Now, Plesak did get hit harder, a little bit harder. He gave up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven hard hit balls, as opposed to Wade Miley, who only gave up four. Only gave up four hard hit balls. And when we go over to the exit velocity, the Cleveland Indians, um, I mean, they made one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. 14 of the 27 outs were on ground balls. That's a ton of ground ball outs uh, when it comes to putting balls in play. 14 of the 20 balls put in play were ground outs. Um, the exit velocities for Emil Reyes's line out to shortstop was 104 mile per hour exit velocity. That's the one that the, um, the shortstop kind of trapped. He kind of knocked down and threw him out at first base. That had an expected batting average of 720. After that, it drops off. Uh, Cesar Hernandez grounded out at 97 mile per hour, 97.8. Jose Ramirez grounded out at 97.8. Josh Naylor grounded out at 96.7. Those are your hard hit balls from the Indians. They had an expected batting average of 720, 360, 270, 170. So not really a threat. The only other threat, uh, Ahmed Rosario's field, the f- fielding error that he reached on had an expected batting average of 390. Even Jordan Luplo's line out to left field in the sixth inning when we we thought we had something. I thought Luplo got this ball. I mean, it was a pitch down the middle, 
Lupo put a good swing on it. I thought he got it. It was only an 85.4 mile per hour exit velocity uh, line out to left field. It only had an expected batting average of 240. I really thought Luplo got more of that ball than he did. I was shocked. Uh, so, yeah, so those are your hard-hit balls for your Cleveland Indians. One good lineout from Fermil Reyes and then three ground outs. I mean, that's, that's pretty rough. Pretty rough. So what was Miley throwing? He actually threw his fastball more than you think he would. He threw 45 cutters, 36 change-ups. Of course, of course the Indians struggle against guys with good change-ups. 23 four-seam fastballs, eight curveballs, and two sinkers. His CSW was only 28%. His most effective pitch was the curveball, which he only threw eight times, so very small sample size there. The cutter was a 31% CSW. Uh, on the other side of things, Zach Plesak threw the four-seam fastball, the slider, the change, the curve, and he mixed them all. Uh, most were the fastball, 48 fastballs, 26 sliders, 21 change-ups, 17 curveballs. Uh, his CSW on the day was 31. His most effective were the curveball and the slider. Uh, 41% CSW on the curve, 38 on the slider. So he was actually doing pretty good. Um, he, he had a great game. Plesak had a great game. It's an absolute shame that it had to go against this no-hitter. Um, looking at the uh, illustrator, seeing where these pitches came in, and Miley had a plan. Like, Miley definitely had a plan. He threw the cutter and the fastball in. I mean, it was mostly right-handed hitters for the Cleveland Indians. The only lefty in the lineup was Eddie Rosario. Yeah, Eddie Rosario was the only lefty in the lineup for the Indians yesterday. So, and when we're looking at this illustrator, we can assume that most of these cutters and fastballs are in under the hands of the Cleveland Indians hitters. Most of them are off the plate, inside, uh, you know, the left side of the plate from the catcher view. The change-ups are all away, all middle to, to away. So, obviously, the plan is to hit them inside with the cutter, throw the change-up away. The curveballs are kind of mixed all over. Uh, but it's a very clear delineation between the cutters and the fastballs on the left side of the plate and the change-ups away. And as the Indian hitters, it's like, are you not picking up the pattern here? I, I don't think they were. And we'll get into this in a second because we're going to jump over to fan graphs. They were not swinging. They just weren't swinging a ton. Plesak, uh, he also had a plan. He was also working in different quadrants. The fastball was mostly up. He was throwing it left and right. Inside and outside, but it was mostly up. The uh, slider would break down into the right, and the changeup was breaking down into the left. The curveballs were kind of dropping in the middle of all that. I mean, it's a pretty clear pattern of sliders on the right, changeups on the left, and curveballs down the middle, with the fastballs sprinkled all over the place, including a lot of high fastballs. Uh, so, yeah, so both pitchers definitely had a plan of attack last night that was working, and they were not picking up on these patterns at all to be able to do anything against these hitters. All right, so let's jump over to fan graphs here. And I got to be honest with you, Wade Miley has been pitching fantastic this season. He did take two losses. Of his six starts, he took two losses in the middle. He's now 4-2. and two. This was the deepest he's gone into a game. Uh, but yeah, he hasn't, except for that one game against Cleveland, when we hit a ton of home runs off him, we had two home runs off him, he, he's given up no runs, no runs, four runs in the loss to Cleveland, 
Two runs, two runs, and now no runs again last night. He's pitching fantastic. Um, going into some of the advanced stats, his whip on the season is 0.75. The batting average against him is 147. His bat bip, his batting average on balls in play, which should be a little bit high, right? Because you take away strikeouts from this situation. This is just the balls put in play. His bat bip is 162. He's dominating. Even when they're putting the ball in play, it's not doing anything. I mean, Wade Miley has to be in contention for the NL Cy Young right now. He's pitching that well. Uh, Did he mix up his pitches last night against us? Anything different than he's done? Nope. Pretty consistent. 21% fastballs in line with what he's done for the season. Um, Cutters, he threw 39% of the time. Actually, down on cutters. More fastballs. Slightly more fastballs than usual. Slightly less cutters than usual. And threw the changeup in line with what he's been doing 31% of the time. It was curveballs that he'd never thrown that many curveballs in a game yet this season. And the plate discipline numbers are just crazy. The Z swing percentage. So this is the percentage of pitches a batter swings at inside the strike zone. He was at only 44.8%. That is by far the lowest. The next lowest is 62%. So for some reason, the Indians were not swinging at pitches even when they were in the strike zone. Their swing percentage was low, but around average against him. Uh, Their contact numbers were fine. He was only in the zone 25.4% of the time yesterday. By far the lowest. He doesn't throw a lot in the zone. He's usually in the 30s, in the mid-30%. So this is a guy that doesn't even throw the ball in the zone that much, and he's still got a no-hitter. His first pitch strikes weren't incredibly high, 55%, which is decent, and not a ton of swinging strikes, only 7%. Let's compare that to Plesak. Plesak, uh, his plate discipline numbers yesterday, uh, the Z swing percentage, the percentage of pitches that the Reds hitter swung at in the strike zone was at 71.4%, a much different approach. Their swing percentage was at 52.7%. Now, they didn't make uh, great contact compared to anybody else against Plesak, uh, their contact percentage was at 60, 76.3. 76.3. The Indians' contact percentage was at 83.3. They just weren't swinging that much. He was in the zone 43.8% of the time. His first pitch strike was up at 70.4%. So his plan was definitely to attack, to attack the Reds hitters. And uh, Plesak has actually bounced back and been okay his last three starts, the two starts in Chicago against Chicago were terrible, uh, but he's bounced back. He had a decent start against Minnesota where he goes seven and two thirds, gives up three runs on, on five hits, uh, strikes out four, no cuts down on the walks in that game, only one walk. He doesn't walk a ton of guys anyways. His last start against the White Sox, which he wins, he only goes five and two thirds because he gave up four walks, which was really crazy for him. He does not do that, but he gave up no runs. In fact, he hasn't given up a run in his last two starts. So he's pitched really well in his last three starts. Um, Last night, he was up at seven strikeouts, his most strikeouts yet this season, and didn't walk anybody. So Plesak, great outing. I mean, it was a great pitcher's duel that we unfortunately came out on the wrong end of. 
We haven't really talked about Class A. Um, maybe it's one of those situations where if it's not a safe situation, but Class A gave up three hits, uh, two runs, only three, uh, three runs, two earned on 18 pitches, didn't strike anyone out, didn't walk anyone, but was hit hard hit twice of those three hit balls. And Class A just didn't have it last night. Like they were being very aggressive against Class A. And uh, a lot of his pitches were down, down in a way and in the same spot. Whether it was the cutter or the fastball or the slider, they were all down and to the right. So the Reds hitters basically knew what was coming out of his hand. It was going down and to the right. So you could be aggressive for that. He's got to mix up that location a little bit. Phil Maiden came in, by the way, and had three strikeouts. So I don't know. At that point... I'm sure we had all given up. The Reds hitters just wanted to get Miley back out there. So uh, Maiden does come in and strike out three. So yeah, so those are, uh, those are your storylines from the game. I mean, there were two crazy innings. There was the inning where the Indians try, had three chances, the third inning where the Indians had three chances to turn a double play, which they finally got on their third try. Um, there was the uh, Kyle Farmer single to lead off the third. Akiyama hit into a fielder's choice. Um, it was the one where Naylor fielded through to Rosario covering second, who couldn't handle the throw. The ball gets away from him. Everyone's safe. Senzel then hits into a force out. They can only get one because the ball's not hit hard enough. And then finally, Jesse Winker grounds, grounds into a crazy double play where uh, the runner was stealing. Senzel was stealing or running on the pitch. I believe it was a full count. So he was running on the pitch, and Cesar Hernandez tried to get him anyways at second base. They're able to get him by a split second, and Rosario almost gets his legs chopped off, but still is able to get enough on the throw to get Winker at first base. So that was a crazy inning, that third inning, where three tries at a double play, and they finally get it to get out of the inning. And then, of course, the sixth inning, the Indians put together a little rally. You have uh, the fielding error that Ahmed Rosario reaches on. Cesar Hernandez draws a walk. Um, it looked like uh, Wade Miley with a base open might have been avoiding Cesar Hernandez, and then he gets loop low to line out to end that threat. Uh, those were your interesting things happening uh, the rest of the game. Uh, but yeah, that is all your storylines. Um, it's a shame. It's an absolute shame. I mean, can I give MVP for the day to Plesak? I'm going to. I'm, normally, in this situation, I would give MVP for the day to the opposing team, right? I mean, Wade Miley threw a no-hitter against us. You have to give credit where credit is due. But act pitched great for the Indians. Eight innings, three hits, no one runs, no walks, seven strikeouts. I'm giving him MVP for the day because it was a hell of a pitching performance against a guy who was battling him on the other side. Um, the other thing that we got to talk about is Mike Chernoff on Bull and Fox and... These guys, these front office guys are just absolutely professionals at not saying anything, just not giving you anything. And they were asking them very, very direct questions. Uh, Fox, Dustin Fox wasn't there. Someone was sitting in for him with Bull. They were asking him very direct questions about why they didn't work on a contract with Shane Bieber after he wins the Cy Young. They had plenty of time to work on a contract with him this offseason during spring training and it didn't feel like they even tried he constantly talked about the churn about uh 
turning the roster over and staying competitive. And it really makes you think that they are going to take the Tampa Bay approach where Tampa Bay just got to the World Series and completely like churned their, their pitching staff over, right? Um, they lost two of their frontline starters and just turned the thing over. And it really makes you feel like the Indians are heading down that route. I mean, it, it, that interview instilled zero confidence that either Shane Bieber or Jose Ramirez will be an Indian for life. Gave, even though they're not going to be the Indians for very much longer, a Cleveland baseball player for life. It gave you zero confidence in that. And that's a shame because both of those guys should be franchise stars. You know what? To be honest, it doesn't happen a lot around Major League Baseball. It just doesn't. I mean, look at what we're talking about with Albert Pujols, that ridiculousness about Pujols. He doesn't stay his whole career in St. Louis. I mean, he should have stayed in St. Louis. If that guy's in the 1960s, he's playing his whole career in St. Louis. No one's even thinking twice about it. Verlander doesn't finish his career in Detroit. He goes on to have a second half of his career in Houston. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton bounced around. You know, he doesn't play his whole career in Miami. I'm just pulling names out of thin air right now. Uh, Castellanos doesn't play his whole career in Detroit. He bounces around now. Um, So, yeah, guys, Eddie Rosario doesn't play his whole career in Minnesota. He's on the Indians now. It's just happening more and more. I mean, Trout is still on the Angels. Uh, Juan Soto is still too young, uh, you know, Guys like that, uh, Tatis Jr. obviously signed that huge contract, but even those huge contracts don't mean anything. Look at Nolan Arenado. He doesn't play his whole career in Colorado, even though he signed the huge contract. He signs a long-term contract. They still decide they can't afford him, and they trade him to St. Louis. Paul Goldschmidt didn't stay in Arizona. He gets traded to St. Louis. So, yeah, it happens all around baseball. It is not just Cleveland. I promise you, Francisco Lindor getting traded out off of Cleveland is not just a Cleveland thing. It's happening all over baseball. So, a turnoff did not say anything that you wouldn't expect. Um, He's excited about some of the young guys down at AAA. You know, he thinks Bobby Bradley. They're they're excited for them to get here, but there's absolutely no timetable for them to get here. You know, things like that. Just saying things without saying anything. It was classic front office speak from Chernoff. I could say you could read between the lines, but we could all do that interview for him. We could all sit there and answer those questions the way he answers them because we know we've heard it from Antonetti so many times. So, yeah, so that was the other big piece of Indians news yesterday. Um, That's everything. That's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. It was a tough game to get through. It's always tough when your team gets no hit. You always think to yourself at the end of it, like, what did I just do with my night? What? Imagine the people that went to the game last night. You know, it's just one of those things, man. It just happens. We got to... Bear down, come back tomorrow, and put in a better effort. Get a few more hard hit balls tomorrow, maybe. That might help. All right, that's all my thoughts. Tomorrow, we do have another matchup, another 6-10 start this time. So starting a little bit earlier, the weather should clear for this. It looks pretty bad now, but the weather should clear. Savali is going on the mound against Castillo for the Reds. I don't think we faced Castillo the last time we faced the Reds. Yes, we have not faced him yet this season. In six starts, he's 1-3 with a 6.07 ERA. So we should have a little bit of a better game today against him than we had against Miley. 
All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. <laughs>